I'm Father Scott Vanderveer, and this is Profiles of Endurance. I had a tremendous opportunity to travel to India back in 2019 with Father Brian Slezak, a priest friend of mine. The trip was organized in part by Matthew Jacob, a 31-year-old seminarian studying to be a priest, who we had met a few years before when he was a computer engineer working here in the Albany area. Matthew grew up in India, and he's the only son with two sisters in a family that is very close-knit and was depending on him to be a source of support and leadership for the family in his generation. When a call to the priesthood came to him while he was thousands of miles from home, it put a real wrench in the works of his plans and in the expectations that his family had set for him. How did he respond to this unexpected change in his life? And how did he go from that moment to where he is today? Listen, as this young man and brave disciple shares with us how he answered God's call and what he does now to stay connected to those people back in India he loves so much. Thank you so much for joining us here today. Thank you, Father. Thank you for having me in your podcast. I'm honored um, and hi to all the listeners. Well, let's start back at the very beginning you were born and raised in India. Tell us a little bit about the part of the world that you were born and raised in and about your family. Sure. Uh, I was born in India in the state of Kerala, that, like you mentioned, Father. And uh, it, it is in the southern tip of India. Um, the, the state is called Kerala. And it's, um, in my opinion at least, and I would I would think you would agree. It's a beautiful state. It has like so many different geographies of backwaters and hills and uh, tea plantations and uh, beaches. And uh, it's a beautiful state. Um, It is so beautiful to our listeners. It is like a tropical paradise, but with the most delicious Indian food you've ever eaten. (laughs) (laughs) And I was, uh, I was born and raised in a, in a, in a farm area, in a village area, um, in in the state of Kerala, near to a popular tourist destination called Kumaragam, and which also you had the uh, you 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 had the opportunity to visit, Father. And um, my my family, my family includes um, my dad, who is um, who passed about six years ago, um, and my mom and two sisters. Um, I have two sisters. My elder sister she's married she has uh, four kids uh, beautiful family and um, I have a younger sister she's like my baby sister she's literally a baby she's like 13 years younger to me so oh. um, and that's Rachel and my elder sister is uh, Teresa that's that's my family and you are are very very beautiful and tight-knit in that family and I got a chance to experience that in person. But actually, it was ironic because while I was in India for this visit, you were not. You were back uh, working right. in the United States where you've lived for some time. So let's let's figure out how we got to that place in the story by hearing a little bit about what faith is like for, your, for, for people growing up in your area and for your family in particular. What role did faith play in your life growing up? Yeah, um, I, so I, you know, I was born in a, born and raised in a 
Catholic family, and uh, in the in the part of the country that we lived in in Kerala, um, you know, as opposed to the rest of the country, most of the country where um, Catholic population or like Christian population is probably like close to two percentage. Um, in 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 state of Kerala, it's about twenty percentage. So um, this is interesting. Big. You were still a minority group, but you were you were a much bigger minority in India. Christians, did you say only make up about two percent of That's the right, population? Yeah. So ninety eight percent of Indians are not Catholic or Christian, but you were from yeah. the most Catholic part of the of the country. But it's it's still only twenty percent. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. Interesting. And uh, yeah, and uh, a, a huge part of that. Uh, is owed to Saint Thomas the Apostle, who you know uh, he he came there in AD fifty two, as the tradition says, um, and he evangelized in in Kerala. He came to Kerala, um, and it's it's you know the the faith line go as back to Saint Thomas the Apostle, who is an apostle of Jesus. So, um, so we are also known popularly as Saint Thomas Christians in in India, you know, um, and. Yeah, and and so I was born and raised in a Catholic family, and um, faith was very important growing up. Um, you know, we used to go to church almost every day, and uh, there used to be different traditions and different um, festivities and festivals. Um, you know, be it uh, the the parish feast, it, it goes for like two weeks. It's a it's a it's a big celebration, and. Uh, the, the parish church that I grew up was like a very old traditional church, which was um, built almost like 500 years ago. Um, and, uh, um, you know, every day at home, there would be like family prayer. Um, we, we would pray the rosary together at, at night. Um, now, growing up, uh, I wouldn't say I was interested in all these things, um, <laughs> all these things equally, but... But it was it was very important at home, and we we all were required to be part of it, and you know it, it was a very important part of our life. Yeah. Is is it was it true for you growing up? Something that I noticed when I visited your home region that um, mass is often very early in the morning and very well attended. Is that often the case? That is that is very often the case, and uh, in in many of the parishes um, they would have masses as early as like six o'clock or six thirty or sometimes even earlier like five thirty. Yeah. I know it's it's really a great thing to see like some of the really elderly uh, people walking and you know, most of them most of them don't even know driving or probably won't even have a car. So they would like walk maybe even like miles to get to that mass early, early in the morning and that's like you know, now when I look back, the the faith of those people is like really inspiring to see that. Oh, so beautiful! And I I want to ask another question about your your practice growing up because something that Father Brian and I saw we were we would go to churches anytime we saw one we would want to go in and see it. And one afternoon we were at the church um, in the in the village where you grew up. And there were families going to that church with their children, often mothers and children. And I asked the priest who was our escort why they were doing that. And he said that it is, it is a tradition for many families when the parents pick the children up from school, they go to the church to say a prayer of thanksgiving for the day. Mm. 
And is that something that you would say you you remembered seeing or or doing when you were growing up there too? Yeah, um, I wouldn't say that's a very common practice, but absolutely, yeah. I mean, uh, and especially like I studied in a boarding Catholic boarding school when I was in Kerala, and you know when we would go back, we would stop by, or like when when I'm going to school, um, they would always stop by. Um, my family would go into the church and pray and all that, and. And it's also something interesting is, um, you know, my many of my friends who, um, you know, would who would go to school with me, uh, who we grew up with, many of them are not Catholic or Christian. Um, you know, it could be they they could be Hindus, and they would they would also go to church, and they would um, they would have a devotion to, um, you know, Mary or, um, you know, it's it's also like a very cultural thing. It's it's part of the culture and. The parish festival, parish fest is, uh, you know, a, a celebration for the whole land, you know. Um, so those things are also something, um, you know, I would say as something beautiful. That's pretty wonderful. Yeah, because I found that too. People here often don't know anything about the, the religions of their neighbors. If somebody here were a Muslim or Hindu or Buddhist, we might not know anything about that. But in India, you know, oftentimes when we were driving around in the 10 days we were there, we would get stopped in the road by a Hindu parade. <laughs> and it yeah. felt like the whole town was there. I had a feeling there were probably some Catholic families that were there being social simply because, um, you know, the religions are very connected with one another. Yeah, I mean, uh, in, at least in a social way, we all, we all, you know, like some something happening um, in the in the area, we would all be aware. Not that it, it is part of our faith or like religion or like um, any any sort of devotion, but you know, in, a, in a very social, um, human relationship sense, it, it was a beautiful practice, I would say. You might share the celebration even if you don't share the faith. Right. Yeah, that's a pretty yeah. beautiful thing. Now, Matthew, one of the things that our listeners um, often think about in, in our culture is when they're little kids, they'll be asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? Is that a question that's fair to ask of a, of an Indian child? What did you want to be when you grew up? Did you dream about a, a certain life or career that you would have? Um, it, it is it is a it is a fair question, and uh, it's often asked. And uh, honestly, growing up, I did not have like a very set ambition to be into like a particular career or anything. Uh, but at least as a very small kid, I used to say. I want to be a priest, and um, you know, I, I I don't know how much seriously I said that, you know, or like how much seri- how much seriousness that anybody gave to that, um, uh, and it, it went away in, in a few years, you know, growing up to like high school and stuff, it, it just went away, and after that, um, I wanted to be a computer engineer, so I went to uh, an engineering school after my high school. Um, so I became an engineer, and I started working there. And as it's, it's as an engineer that I, I came to America and, and to Albany. But but growing up, um, if anything, I would say like in my early childhood, I wanted to be a priest, but nothing nothing um, as part of a you know a, to a particular career. I would say. Now, one thing that our listeners may not realize, and I didn't fully realize until I went to India, is that if you had chosen. Um, to be a computer engineer for your life, and if you had chosen to get married, your marriage very likely would have been arranged. 
Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, in, in this day and age, uh, at least uh, partial of it, I would say, uh, it's, uh, yeah, it, it's not, it's not as, uh, you know, as much as arranged as my parents' generation. Like, you know, they probably just met, like, once before they got married. Yes. Uh, it's, it's almost inconceivable for uh, us to think back and think about it. But, but yeah, in this day and age, it would be more like a, a, you know, so-and-so, you know, are you interested? Would you like to talk? And it would go on for like a few weeks or like a few months and then they would make the decision. But it's, it's still like, uh, uh, still like a practice. I would yeah. Say. yeah. So, yeah, it's a fascinating, it's a fascinating, uh, different, uh, approach to, to living and it's beautiful. And if any of our listeners have the chance to experience India, uh, as a visitor or, you know, even as, uh, as an opportunity to live or work there for a while, I couldn't recommend it highly enough. But while we're talking about the dreams that you had as a child and, uh, and your religious practice and your family, there is something we should pause to talk about. And that is that your family did go through, um, a trauma, when you were young, uh, a financial trauma. Can you talk to us a little bit about that and how it, it shaped your path? Yeah. Um, so when, when I was, uh, you know, I said I grew up in a farmland and it was a inherited uh, farmland from our grandfather. Uh, he was a farmer too. And he, 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 was, uh, he, he was phenomenal. He, he made like islands which you visited father and that's a man-made island which was built for agriculture purposes and um you know later in in my dad's in my childhood um there was a lot of agriculture damages and um pest problems and um and then the the price of the agricultural products came down a lot and we 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 went into a lot of financial uh, problems because of that and then uh, eventually after many years we we had to um, you know end up giving up our land and oh. uh, which was a uh, which was a very painful uh, process for our entire family also because it was a very you know sentiment it the, the land holded so much of a sentimental value because it was literally built by our grandfather mm. and um, we, we had to move out of our house and um, find some you know go, go to a different town and we lived in a at a rented home and uh, eventually we had to keep moving and in in, uh, in my childhood i i probably moved around seven or eight times to different homes um and yeah so it was a, it was i i didn't i don't think i realized it as much as like a uh struggle or anything at that time you know as a kid I just went along with it my family probably struggled more than that and um, when I look back I can see that even more um, but that really shaped a lot of a lot of things like you know appreciation for a lot of things in my life you know um, even even seeing people seeing other people's hardships and and, and all of that and uh, most of uh, most of everything the the greatest gift I would say is like our whole family turned more and more towards God and, and faith and um, and I would say that's a, that's a gift that really came through that um, struggle and suffering that our entire family went through and uh, I wouldn't trade that that gift of faith for anything and uh, I, I would say you know as it is that 
that is a beautiful place and we lost it. But uh, for the gift of faith that we received, um, I wouldn't regret any of those. I would really like to pause there for our listeners to just think about that, because I think that's a great question for each of, of us to apply to our lives. What is a misfortune from my life that I would, I would not wish to have avoided because I recognize that it was a birthplace of faith for me? I think that's such an important question. I mean, certainly none of us wants financial hardship. None of us wants to move seven times when we're raising children or if we are a child. But you you are actually able to feel grateful because of the faith that it gave you. And I just think that's each of us could take a moment to consider, if I were to go through some of the worst things that happened to me, were any of them? Um, things that provided me with new faith. I think that's a powerful, powerful thought. Wow. Uh, Matthew, it's also fair to say, though, that that's not the only difficult thing that you went through because, um, you know, when I went to visit your homeland, um, I got to meet your mother and your sisters and your auntie and, and wonderful family members, but, um, but I did not get to meet your father. And um, maybe you could take us back to when you first realized that um, your father was sick. Uh, yeah, um, my 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 dad, uh, as I mentioned, passed uh, about six years ago, six and a half years ago, um, with liver cancer. Uh, it was uh, two thousand fifteen, um, January or February. That's around when we found out that he had cancer, and by that time, it was um, a bit too late to do anything about it, and uh, it was already in stage four um, cancer. Um, and so he he only survived for four, four, and, four and a half months um, after that. And uh, um, yeah, and uh, he, you know, he, within, within a few months he, he passed, and which was a very unexpected um, thing, like he, he was, he was, so young, he was only fifty-seven, um, and my, you know, and and I was, I was, I was about twenty-four, twenty-five. Yeah, mm. I was also, uh, I was, I was an adult, and I was um, still young. I, uh, I didn't know what to do, and it was also like, um, I, I had a lot of things that came to my plate. That's that's also a feeling that that came along with that. Um, being, being the son, being the um, son of the family, and yeah, so with with a lot of that, it was a mixed feelings, and like um, I, I had to, I, I was broken with um, you know sadness and all that, but at the same time, um, I also had to be the responsible person. I had to be, um, you know, support my mom and my sisters uh, emotionally and. Uh, financially, um, so it was, it was a it was a lot of feelings and figuring out and a lot of things um, at that time. Your yeah. degree was already completed, yes. So you were a computer engineer at this point. Yes, and I just started working. Yeah. So, like a year, a year or so into it. So the pressure now is 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 has shifted because when when you were before your father got sick what would the expectations have been on a on a a young indian male going out starting his career 
what would the expectations have been for your connection to your family? Um, I mean, it, it is the in, in, uh, Indian, um, in the Indian culture, the, the male children are um, usually responsible for um, taking care of their family, you know, um, even, even when their parents are alive and all that. And, but, but if your parents are alive, they are also there to support and they are also capable of, you know, able to, um, run a lot of things. So, but, but a later point when, um, they're, they're not there, it, it is even more of a, um, expectation, right? So, oh, yeah. Yeah. So yes, you you already knew you already knew as a young Indian, as the only son of the family, that that you would have a lot of responsibility as as you as you uh, took care of the generation above you. But but when your father died, that that made it all the more important. So what? When did the decision come that you would go to America? What prompted the decision for you to come to the United States? Yeah. So uh, right after my that uh, within within a few months, I got this opportunity to come to America uh, from the same company that I was working with, and um, to come and work um, here in in the United States in um, Schenectady um, at the GE plant. Um, so it's for for somebody in India, it's a, an amazing, great opportunity. Um, but but at the same time, it's also um, a situation when I, my, you know, my dad just passed away, and um, and, and to go away from my family was definitely a difficult thing. But at the same time, I also have to support the family, and there's no way I could have done that staying there. So it was almost inevitable that I, I come and take up this response, this opportunity. I mean, I also wanted it; it's a good career opportunity and all that. But the timing uh, was a little too you know, soon after my dad's death. But I, you know, everyone uh, supported that, and my family was very supportive of that too, and I, I also wanted that to happen, and so um, that's that's how I came to Alden. That's how I came to Schenectady. Uh, it's just amazing. He comes from the tropical south of India for a <laughs> job to Schenectady, New York, USA, sight unseen. I'm a little nervous to ask, what month was it when you arrived? <laughs> it, was, it was January of uh, 2015. Stop it. <laughs> Listeners, are you catching this? <laughs> and it was, uh, they said it was the worst winter in like 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> Matthew Jacob, I can't believe it. I mean, yes, just just that alone. There's a reason why we call this Profiles of Endurance, Matthew. That is... Cha- and I'm just realizing, you are coming. You're coming with all the culture shock, with all of the weather differences, with the recent grief of your, of your father, and, and also... All the missing of the Indian uh, comforts, you know, the there's such a difference in culture. How did you handle those first months in America in the winter? Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I haven't thought much about it, uh, at least recently. Um, but 
I, I remember being in an apartment in Schenectady, um, and the the only thing that I did at that time, I didn't have a car at that time. Obviously, I just came, and um, for the first six months or so, I was I would literally take a cab to go to work and come back. That's all I did. Um, but I, you know, I, I kept in touch with my family over phone. That was that was some of blessing, you know, with all the latest um, technological things, it, it, it became much more easier. Um, but something that I used to do pretty regularly, at least then, um, I, I, you know, I, I would go at least for like the weekend masses at St. Anthony's or uh, St. Uh, Kateri Takavita Parish, which was the nearby parishes um, near me. So I, I, I remember sometimes I used to like uh, walk in the snow to to get to this um, parishes to go for a Saturday mass and a Sunday mass, um, and uh, uh, some of the very kind parishioners would see me walking and they would they would offer me rides back and you know all that it was it was like beautiful time it was also a beautiful time of building relationships here and all that so so then you know getting to know people getting to know the priests. Um, and just that ability to go to church, all of that, you know, really helped me, helped me. Um, yeah, and uh, yeah, that was, I would say, that's how I survived at least the first few months. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, and you know, I, I think we're hearing the beginnings of a story because obviously we're talking to you today in a seminary preparing for the priesthood, and you're talking to us about... Just six years ago, there you were um, going to Mass in your newly adopted hometown of Schenectady, New York, USA. When did the priesthood start to become more important as a thought for your life? Yeah, like I said, um, you know, as a kid, I thought about it, but soon it, it faded off. Um, and then I never after that, I was ever thinking about priesthood in any serious uh, way. Um, but I believe it was end of 2015, the, the same year that I came there. Um, you know, that, that you know, I, I used to, um, eventually I got a car, I started going for like different things. I started going for the Young Adult Fellowship and, um, you know, and, and uh, that used to happen at St. Pamphlet's Chapel and uh, the Frasati group and like, you know, got started to get involved with the diocese and the diocese activities and the Catholic things there. Um, and then I used to help out with um, some of the, some of the parish activities also. And one day at mass is when I, uh, I, I believe it was, um, actually it was not in 2013, November. It was close to like 2016, right after the East, right after Easter. Um, the, the first Sunday after Easter, the Good Shepherd Sunday, yeah, exactly, 2016 Good Shepherd Sunday was the first day when I when I received my calling to priesthood. I was at Mass, and I, during the Mass I had this profound feeling of like the Lord calling me to priesthood, and I, I, I don't know, it's an indescribable feeling. I couldn't sit, I couldn't stand, I was, I was in tears. There was so much confusion, I'm like, you know, I felt like the Lord calling me, but I was like, no, this is you know, almost not practical. I, I also wanted to get married, and, um, and, but but regardless of 
that it's also not practical. My I need to support my family and you know my my sisters, my mom. So all of these mixed things, and I'm like, Lord, I don't know. <laughs> I so that that was the beginning of the discernment. That was the beginning of the journey. Um, yeah. Matthew, it's very, first of all, I'm talk, talking to Matthew. I know a gospel by that name where there are some fishermen who are in the middle of their work and they are in the middle of washing their nets and a, a stranger comes up and says, follow me. <laughs> it sounds to me like it's just as uh, improbable and in truth, you were sitting, you know, you were a nice young man going to church. Probably, you know, that was a good place even to meet a nice young Catholic woman if, you know, you're interested in marriage. And But there, you got a call. You got a call. And it's a remarkable story. You know, I, I think priests really enjoy sharing their story of how they were called. But mine is mine is beautiful, but not so dramatic. You felt it in your body, even. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was uh, it was it was really an experience that I often go to. We just had a retreat, and it was beautiful to go back and reflect on it. And you know, yeah. What did you do next? Kindness. What do you do with a, an experience like that? What is the next step? I had step? no idea what to do. I <laughs> I I found uh, a couple of priests that I could talk to, including the vocations director of Albany and uh, uh, Father Anthony. And, uh, uh, yeah, I, I spoke to them. I'm like, you know, this is how I feel. And, you know, they're, they're like, yeah, this is this is normal. This is common. I'm like, oh, okay, <laughs> okay. And uh, <laughs> it, it calmed me down a little bit. Um, and uh, I'm like, okay, this is this is normal. It, you know, and, and we, I, just the fact that I talked about all of these things believe me, I, there were a couple of friends who really accompanied me at that time, so having, having conversations with them at that time, obviously I didn't tell this to my family immediately, because I didn't know how, you know, they would take it. I, I wasn't even sure if this is even a reality, like, I, you know, I'm, I'm going to do this. Yeah, so it was, there was a lot of moving pieces at that time, so... Unbelievable. But but it sounds to me, this, this I think is the time that we met because as a priest of the Diocese of Albany, one of the ministries that I try to participate in is to support seminarians who are becoming priests and also um, others who are discerning that, who are not yet ready to go to the seminary but are thinking seriously about it. And because there is a, a home in the Albany Diocese where those uh, young people gather, and pray together. Some of them live there. Um, I would go as a priest to celebrate Mass once or twice a year and to share dinner with those young people. And Matthew, that's where we met. That was one of those times I came to yeah. celebrate Mass. Yeah. And I met you and I thought, who is this young man from India? This is a fascinating story. And I got to hear a little bit of your story, never realizing that we would become important parts of each other's lives and that you would make it possible for me to visit what is my new adopted homeland that I love, um, if I can say so, India, which I, I just adored and cannot wait to return to. So, um, Matthew, this is really remarkable. And it brings up something that I think our listeners could learn a lot about because, you know, there are a lot of ways to be a priest. One, one kind, the, the kind of priest that we probably think of first is parish priest. You know, the priest who, who works at our parish, who is the pastor of our church. And, and the people who are most likely in those roles, the priests who do that are, are usually diocesan priests like I am. They work with a bishop in a certain region and, the, and they stay there. 
you know, I'm a priest ordained to serve the Albany area, the Albany diocese. But there are other kinds of priests you can be, like an order priest, you know, and people people know about Jesuits and Franciscans and Dominicans and, and all the different orders. But then, of course, because you're from India, you had the choice of pursuing the priesthood in India or pursuing it in the United States. How did you get started in figuring all of that out? Yeah, um, like one of my friends says, discernment never ends. <laughs> it, it was it was just the beginning, and you know, it still continues. It still continues. Will continue always, as you can attest, Father. Um, and Truly. like you said, um, the it, it all began in that house in uh, Albany, and I'm forever indebted to. The, the Diocese of Albany and the vocations uh, team, um, including you, Father. I, I remember uh, the evening very, very, very vividly, the evening that you came, and it was a beautiful evening, and the way you celebrated Mass, all of that created so much of a beautiful impression in my mind. I still remember it very fondly. Thank you. Um, and that and that place really helped me discern um, the regular conversations uh, with the vocations director and uh, my spiritual director, who is Father Brian, who uh, who went with you to India, um, and 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 those regular conversations and uh, praying and and that and I remember praying in that chaplain um, in the Saint Isaac Jokes uh, discernment house. Um, all of that led to me led me to more of a clarity that. Um, the Lord is calling me to work particularly with young people. Um, and, and that's when I considered um, a vocation with the Jesus Youth Movement, which I was already part of and familiar with uh, from India. And it's, it's a movement, like Father mentioned, started in India and now spread in about 35 countries, primarily working in the evangelization and formation of young people. Um, so, you know, considered a vocation with them. And... Um, so that, that's what I'm. That's what I'm pursuing now um, to be a priest, um, to to serve the movement, and through the movement to um, reach out and form young people, young adults, um, youth. Um, yeah, that's uh, that's where I feel the Lord is calling me, and that's uh, where that's the desire the Lord has put in my heart. Can you share with us a bit about how your family reacted to your to your calling? First of all. Um, when when they discovered when you told them that you were called to be a priest, how did they process it? Yeah, um, and like like I mentioned earlier, it, it is a it is it was a it, it was tough for me to make that choice um, with because of so many reasons, but uh, primarily because my my family taking care of them and I love them very dearly and uh, I want to be with them and for them and um, so uh, and and so coming to America and uh, doing the job that I was doing here all of that gave our family a lot of security and um, you know it, it was coming together um, and it, it's at that time this, this whole thing is coming and uh, um, my 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 mom, my my immediate family, my mom, and my sisters, um, they're they're the ones with whom I first shared it in, in my family. And um, my mom was a, a bit sad at the beginning uh, for obvious reasons, and um, you know, along with all the all the reasons that any moms usually are a lot of our seminarian friends 
uh, talk about this like you know wanting to have grandchildren and like family and you know all those reasons obvious reasons but along with that like uh, concerned about um, you know their own security and like my my sisters uh, sisters and she was, she always used to say like who is there to guide my little sister you know and all that so um, so that was a difficult uh, process for her to go through and got you know thank God and now she's she's so happy about it she's so much at peace about it and it was really a journey that she went through and with the Lord and I, I really always used to pray and I tried to convince her by talking to her and all that it that that was never something that should have that that would have convinced her but I, I really believe that it it came as a peace from the Lord and that was the only thing that convinced her and gave her peace and and I'm, I'm so happy that she is so much at peace with it and and, um, and so is my younger sister my my older sister though she was always very excited about this she she told mm. me like she gave me so much support she told me like if this is the calling that God is calling you to you should definitely go for this and we will we will support mom and uh, all the needs at home you know she was very supportive of that from the beginning what a blessing what a blessing you know but the the uh, the the process of them figuring this out wasn't just in one stage, I'm sure, because not only did you tell them that you wanted to be a priest, but there it was not clear for a time whether you would be based in India or based in the United States. And, and you know, the, the Jesus Youth Movement was born in India, but it's too big for one country. It's spreading out all over. Um, did your family express... Uh, a desire to have you in India instead of the United States? Um, no, not not really. Um, I, I think they they were open to um, you know at that point they were open to wherever the Lord was um, calling me to and to be there wherever I was supposed to be um, as as God's will. Um, in fact, in the beginning, at least I was planning to go back to India. That was one of my initial plans, and uh, um, but but um, you know the Lord's plan was otherwise, and He He made it clear for me, and He made that desire deeper in my heart. And um, yeah, and um, it was it was another set of discernment along, um, and and through that it was clear that He's calling me to serve in in America, and yeah, and and hence I stayed and. Um, by that time, and it was more recent towards joining seminary within like one year within, um, of joining seminary. So by that time, they were very much open towards anywhere the Lord was calling me to. Wow, wow. Now, and I also took uh, about two, three years to uh, in this discernment also, which, which also helped me um, continue my work and save up some. Um, you know, um, money to support my family. So um, that was also a blessing. You know, did, you know, um, I, I I could work for a few more years um, and um, save up some so that my family is able to live off of that um, at this point. Yes, yes, you really you really did have a, a good career. It wasn't a long career, but it was good, and it uh, it contributed greatly. Uh, and we're so lucky, although. It's unlikely you'll ever live in the Albany area again. We we definitely uh, think of you often, Matthew, and are grateful that you walked among us. Your uh, your footprints remain here, and uh, we're grateful for them. Um, you know, one of the things, Matthew, 
um, that you and I have talked about is it is a very unusual experience to feel as though you have two homelands. I know some of our listeners know that feeling. They have they have immigrated from one place to another. But but you've told me that um, when you're in India, there's a part of you that misses America. And when you're in America, there's always a part of you missing India. Can you talk a bit about that? What is it like? Does it Does it feel like you have two homes does that mean you have no home what does it do <laughs> that's a that's an interesting question and uh i don't know um i you know it i i feel like home is uh, very much uh, where the heart is and heart is very much uh, where the people you love are so um and even when I left India and when I came here, a lot of people used to always ask me, like, you know, what do you miss the most about India and all that? And obviously I missed, um, you know, the, 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 the culture, the things there, the, the land that I grew up and the food there, all of that, sure. Um, but the, the thing that I missed the most was the people, right, obviously, and, that, and the yes. relationships and the um, love and the warmth and um, well, what I realized that was, um, interestingly, when I, well, one of the points that really, really hit me was when I left Albany, I was, I was so sad, and I'm like, I've been here only for like five or like, you know, six years, or like five years, and it, 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 it really felt like home to leave Albany, even, even if I'm still in America, it's quite, you know, far away place, and um, and and I think it has to do a lot with the people that you love and the relationship that you build. Um, and I, I I felt that. And and I think the same way. Even when I go to India, and I, and when I go to India at this point, it, I know it's for a vacation or like a, a shorter time, and I'm coming back. And um, and and if if for some reason I leave here, I'm I'm sure I will feel the same way. So uh, I think it has to do a lot with the relationships and the friendships and. Um, that I make or, um, yeah. Well, on behalf of all of your friends, myself included, we're grateful. We're grateful that you came. We're grateful. Matthew, a couple more questions for you, please. I'm, I'm curious, um, in the, in the, the long journey to priesthood, we always add a phrase onto whenever we talk about our plans, we always add a phrase, God willing, you know, we put a comma, after when people will say, when are you going to be a priest? And you might say, right. next year, God willing, or <laughs> in five years. At this rate, God willing, Matthew, if, if the things continue the way they're going, when will you be ordained a priest? Um, yeah, God willing, it would be uh, in about four and a half to five years. So Matthew, you we've heard your story. We know that this call came Good Shepherd Sunday in 2016. So if this is four and a half to five years, we're talking it may be 2026, somewhere around there, which means that it might be 10 years between the time that you were called and the time that, God willing, you are ordained. How do you, how do you stay focused when the journey is so long? Yeah, um, it's uh, it's. I don't I don't know where I where I heard it uh, or where where it, it's something that I constantly go back to 
um, when I think about the long journey is like God desires um, my happiness and my joy and all that he desires for me at this moment right now it is it is not something um, that you know it's, it's not like a one point that we're going to get it right like um, maybe I read it somewhere maybe some spiritual fathers told this to me um, but it's I did not make this up I'm not that good <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful it's a beautiful thing that I always remember try to remember go back to um, because remembering to um, know the Lord and love the Lord and receive the Lord's blessing at this moment right now um, and yeah to, to cherish each moment then. Um, and you know at some point you would get to ordination and that's a that's a great point to celebrate and rejoice God willing um, and yeah we'll get there once uh, I admire your fortitude, and uh, as somebody who also was called and and had to persevere, I uh, I recognize the uh, the beauty of what you're saying and the 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 day to day uh, endurance that's needed. So that's it's really beautiful, Matthew. There's a couple of questions I like to ask every person that we talk to on, on the podcast. So I'd like to ask you about this phrase that. It comes up quite often in American culture. I, I imagine it also is is asked a lot in India. The question is, does everything happen for a reason in life? You've shared with us a number of really challenging things, financial, uh, being separated from your family, losing your father. And of course, there's all sorts of, of things in your life I'm sure you're not sharing with us that are other other challenges and heartbreaks as as the human journey always has. And I just find myself wondering, when you look at those things, do you think everything happens for a reason? Or do you think that some of it just happens and God helps us pick up the pieces? What do you think about that? Yeah, I'm, I'm no um, you know, great philosopher or theologian to answer that, that question in, his, in, a, in a universal manner. But something that I... I in a, a Bible verse that is so close to my heart is Romans uh, eight twenty eight. For those who love God and those who are called according to His purpose, God will make everything for our good. Um, and and obviously in this complex world of um, where God has created all of us with free will, um, there's so much complexities. Like people can do whatever they want out of their free will, and there's evil there. There's there's, there's goodness, there's evil, <clears throat> um, and um, we we cannot always point to a particular source to all the things that happens in our life or anybody's life or in the world. Uh, but one thing that I very firmly believe is, um, if I, if all of us bring all that is happening in our life to the Lord, He will make it for something good, um, and whether that happened for a particular reason or because of a particular reason, um, I'm, I'm sure that the Lord will make it for something beautiful. Ah, such a beautiful go-to scripture. All things will be brought together for good. I love it. I love it. Matthew, you've, you've, uh, you've gone through a lot of, of times that you've needed to endure. You needed to uh, endure the 10 years from 
from the calling of your of your heart to the priesthood till till God willing your ordination. You've endured separation from family. You endured the winter uh, when you arrived. That was the worst winter they said in, in years in Albany, New York. Um, what do you think as you look back over your life? What is the key to practicing the virtue of endurance? I, I think this again, I heard somewhere, as they say, this also will pass. Um, mm. And especially in hard times, it's a, it's a beautiful thing to remember. Um, and I think it's St. It's Ignatius of Loyola who said in his discernment rules, like, um, all these time of desolation is not going <laughs> to stay for long and expect the consolation um, to come soon. Um, so, um, and and I think that's a that's a beautiful thing to remember. Um, and I when I look back, at, it it is always easy to remember that when we look back at things like when we look back at our uh, any of our hardships that we have gone through, um, and I, it's 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 really easy to remember that. And, and I can see that in all the things that uh, I have gone through, and all of us have gone through. We could see that, like my um, dad's death, or like the hard times of financial crisis or uh, even the long wait that I had to uh, wait before joining the seminary. And, and all of that, there was something really beautiful. When I look back now, I'm able to support my family. And um, and there's, um, even when my dad died, uh, one of the things that always came to my mind was, like St. Therese used to say, um, I'm going to do even greater things from heaven. I can really see that with my dad. You know, it, even his his presence with me, even in a faraway land, which I wouldn't have been able to experience, even if my dad was alive in India, um, I'm, I'm able to experience his presence in a, in a very um, deep and spiritual, beautiful way. Um, so in, in all of this, there, there is a silver lining which we, can, uh, which we can see, and the Lord will help us to see. Um, and yeah, just that, just that, Remembering that this shall also pass is a great way to endure through the difficulties, I believe. I absolutely agree. And, you know, when my, my favorite person in my life was my grandmother, my babci, my Polish grandmother who died um, when she was 96 in 2004. I was 29 at the time. And my, uh, my students, I was teaching in Boston, and my students... Um, really wanted to comfort me. They knew that uh, this was a big loss in my life. And one of them just very simply said, Mr. V, this too shall pass. Who knows where she heard it. It was the most comforting thing I heard. It's so interesting that in all of the, the people said beautiful things, but the thing that comforted my soul the most was knowing that this too shall pass. And you know, it might be fair to say that a lot of us have been living as though coronavirus would never end. And even though we are in the middle of the desolation of it, it will pass. It will. It will. It will. It will. So that's, I can't tell you how much uh, strength I take from hearing you say that. That's really beautiful. My last question for you. Um, yeah, really, really uh, <laughs> a, a question that I think is so appropriate for all of us right now is we're wondering when will this this end? Um the coronavirus will eventually pass. What are your dreams for what life will be like afterwards? What are the lessons you hope we'll learn or the the uh, 
the shifts that will happen after getting through coronavirus? Well, uh, for me, I'm, I'm a very people person. I love spending time with people. Um, I cherish my friendships. Um, you know, one of our uh, meetings where uh, did not happen um, in the beginning of the pandemic when we had planned to meet. Um, so, you know, very dear friendships and meetings, uh, which hasn't happened, uh, is the great hope that I'm looking forward to, you know, spending time with the people that I love and would love to spend time with. Um, yeah, and, and it's, it's really, it, it really helps me a lot in, in my, in all the aspects of my life. Um, so that, that is definitely something that I'm looking forward to on a, on a, on a personal basis. And I'm also hoping to make a visit to India, God willing, sometime. Um, and and uh, that, those are my personal hopes. And, and for the world, I really see, like, you know, in, in, the, in the middle of all these um, hard things of deaths and separation with people they love and or everyone, all of us love. Um, I was just talking to one of our housekeeping staff. She lost her son. And it's a really hard time, and uh, but but also there's been also a lot of beautiful things um, that happen in the world where people have been at home more spending more quality time with their family and like um, focusing on more important things in life than just living a busy life. And I hope that continues to happen in the world and people will be more considerate of other humans and other um, you know love others more deeply and. Uh, consciously yes and that's yes i love your vision i love it i love it i love it and um i think you know what the time has come for us to take just a moment and and reflect a little bit on on some of what you've shared with us matthew and i'd like to just invite our listeners to join with me in a, just a, a bit of a contemplative pause just a stance of savoring for a moment what is it that matthew has shared that is feeding you right now? What's feeding your soul? What's feeding you some strength for your journey? Are you considering the, the role that, that hardship has played in his life in birthing his faith when he said, I am grateful that this bad experience happened to me because the faith that I gained from it has been so valuable? Have you considered as he shared his story from Good Shepherd Sunday back in 2016, when has God called you? When were you called by God to something that was just for you to do? What is that story from your own life? What phrases give you strength? Is there a scripture quote like Matthew's favorite from Romans? Is there a, an aphorism or a mantra that helps you, such as, this too shall pass? When you think of your loved ones who have died, do you join Matthew in realizing that his father does more for him, perhaps from heaven, than he was able to do on earth, and that their connection is as strong as ever? Can you sense that with some of the loved ones in your life? Matthew always uses God willing when he talks about the future. Does that phrase, 
perhaps have potential to bring some focus into your life? Greater acceptance for life on life's terms? Holding our, our plans a little bit more gently? Hoping they'll happen, but always wishing more that God's will will be done? Matthew, I gained so much from this conversation, and I know our listeners did too. And like any good seminarian, we are now at the point in the day where you have to go off to evening prayer, which is a, uh, a something that always happens in the seminary, and uh, your attendance is needed. So we, we thank you so much for joining us and for sharing your story with us. Thank you so much for this time. Thank you so much, Father. I'm very honored to be part of this. Um, and I pray for all your listeners. Thank you. We appreciate those prayers. And, and may God bless all of you out there listening. Peace be with you all.